Hey there, welcome to the Product Hive podcast. On this episode, we're bringing you the presentation from our March UX event, where you'll hear from Frank Donqua. Frank has an immense love for creating engaging usable experiences within desktop and mobile platforms. He's designed professionally for the last 17 years, with the last eight years focusing on how people learn and communicate. This presentation will give you insights and tools to help you as a designer listen and communicate better with your peers, users, and stakeholders. A big thanks to Pendo and Bluehost for sponsoring this meetup. And finally, be sure to join our community on Slack, where there's always lots of great conversation happening about UX, product management, and more. You can get an invite to our Slack group and find more information about ProductHive at ProductHive.org. So now, let's hear Frank Donqua's talk, Tools for Understanding. So anyways, as, as I'm pushing this, hopefully you guys can, not everything might be applicable to your, uh, the way that you work, but I'm hopefully there's a couple things in there that you guys can snag. Um, I don't know if anybody, I love visual things. And I don't know if anybody appreciated this TV show when it was on, it was a, uh, it was a show generated for families and uh, mostly kids and the show was called Avatar, The Last Airbender. And there was this character on there, and um, at the beginning of the show, he was bad, and then as the show went on, he became good, and he had to kind of find his way, more or less, it was a, a journey. Uh, and um, they had, you know, corny couple of lines and some fun stuff, and I appreciated it for a lot of different factors, but this character was interesting because at the beginning, as he was going through his journey, he was just angry at the world and angry at a lot of things. And his motivation was driven by the fact that he just hated things. And he was uncomfortable with himself and trying to find out who he was. So he was just angry. And uh, as time went on, the anger kind of dissipated. And he had some mentors in his life that were trying to push him the right way and help him kind of see not to be so angry. But he didn't kind of understand that. Um, and the reason why I kind of line that up with some of the things that we do is that a lot of times when you guys get out of school or when I, when I go back and I got out of school, um, it was a little bit different um, in the fact that I was kind of not sure which direction to go. I was this new thing called the web because that's how old I am. I remember when Photoshop was just kind of getting going and uh, Flash came out to be and all those things. So that's kind of what I, I use as my platform as I was kind of getting going for interaction. So as things were going, we were trying to figure out what this UX thing called, and, and it was called, and they called us web developers, they called us web designers, they called us all kind of different things, but they weren't quite sure what we did other than make pretty pictures and take things and, you know, hey, here's a website. And there was this visual aspect to what we did that everybody focused on, which sometimes you find it prevalent around still in people's philosophies. So as things kind of pushed on um, and I went on my journey, um, I wasn't necessarily angry. Well, I would get angry at people at times, but um, not in the way that this character did. 
but it was kind of more or less a, a, a good transformation of the people that are around me to kind of help me out. Um, this is from a quote from Indy Young. Indy's awesome. Um, and uh, she has a different aspect and a, a different way that she looks at um, UX design. And I agree with this wholeheartedly. Um, thus it on the screen. And I think some of the tools that can help you get there, and I'm gonna re-word uh, some of those normal things that you hear often, um, and give, you, give it to you this way. So I think the first thing that you really need to understand is your direction. Um, and that's a personal thing. Uh, and I'll explain a little bit more of that. And you need to understand what listening is. Uh, some people might call that empathy nowadays. Um, but you really need to kind of see how that plays into what you do. And then initiative. You have to take that and do something with it. Um, we kind of push that a little bit forward. And then oftentimes people say testing. Um, and I'm going to call it feedback for a little bit different reason. Uh, and I'll explain that a little further on. So uh, going back to our first appearance of the character from the kids' TV show, what really is motivating you? Like, why did you get into this field? Is it because of money? Hey, everybody's making something. Or somebody in your family told you, you're good at art. Go do this thing. It's going to get you a lot of money and make things great for you later on in the future. Or was it the work? You wanted to solve problems. So what was that motivating factor for you to kind of go? And it doesn't, I'm not here to question ethics. I'm just trying to figure out what's driving you. And that's the question that I'm kind of putting out to you. Obviously, it's rhetorical. You don't have to answer it. But what is driving you when you do your work? Um, we had a colleague at work who just asked this question not too long ago. And as far off as I am in this field, I kind of sat back and I thought of how many times I changed how and why I was motivated to do something. Uh, and it happens often. And it happens without you even knowing that it's happening. Um, not necessarily a Jedi mind trick. You just shift a little bit. You hear something and it resonates and you move. And so it could be a lot of different things. It could be growth. You want status. You want notoriety. There are various things that's pushing you and driving you. Um, and I'm going to show you, introduce you to a, an illustrator, an artist. Uh, her name, she's from the Czech Republic. Czech, Czechoslovakia, I guess, depending on how old you are. Um, <laughs> so, uh, Kavita Paskowska, um, and she's an illustrator. The thing, the reason why, um, or the, the way that I found out about her is I have a thing for children's books. I think that, that they, they, um, when a child's book is done well, it's probably one of the more purest forms of UX that you'll see, because children love it, no matter how many times you read it. Uh, and I have kids, and they just kind of eat that book up. And no matter how many different voices that you make or how many different you present it to them, they still love that book. And if you do it right, it's an amazing thing. And she had some really cool children's books. Um, and this is some of her artwork that you'll see um, if you look at her books. Uh, I have this particular book. The cool thing about it is that she allows kids to kind of really interact with the book. There's textures in there. There's different uh, colors that resonate. There's different shapes, openings, 
for kids to kind of mess with and kind of get a feel for it. Uh, her book's a little pricey. I'm not saying go out and get one, but I'm just introducing to you the fact that um, she doesn't care how people look at the way that she illustrates. It's a little bit different, and you'll see some of them in the back. That's her, and this is what she says. So how many of you have something that you do that people recognize just right out the get-go? When you put things together, how many of you will recognize it? What your intent is? Is it often, so-so, you struggle, can't quite get it out the first time? And kids, immediately, I remember when I bought the first book and uh, my six-year-old at the time, uh, she was two, and she saw it, and she was like, what is this book? And she kept looking at it, and I knew that it was, it, it was, it caught her attention when she kept putting her hand through the hole just to kind of see how it would do things. And then she kept feeling a lot of the patterns that were there and relating to some of the colors, which she uses a lot of primary colors that were appealing to her. And I knew that it was working well, like it, immediately she knew what she was trying to do, her objective, Kavita's objective. So again, I ask you, what's motivating you? Uh, and if you know that, and if you get an understanding of that, I think it can help guide you in the way that you want to go. And you'll, it'll, it'll be a little bit more clear as I go along a little further. So um, the next question that I want to ask is that, are you a craftsman? Like, uh, how do you put your elements on a page and deliver it for somebody? How did you learn this craft? I got a friend, um, that's my, me and my buddy, uh, this is like a couple houses ago and we we're just kind of messing around and we were rebuilding an engine. So I like to mess with cars. That, the truck that you see in the background is the engine that we're working on, it's a 318, uh, just a small block engine. And um, he's probably one of the smartest people I know <laughs> that's affected my life. Uh, he kind of, I, I know this phrase gets kind of used a lot, but he is a car whisperer, literally. Um, when I, I met him quite a while ago at, at a rec yard, and we just kind of hit it off. And I'd call him, and I'd be like, hey, my car is making this noise. And then it does it this time. You know, and he'd be like, oh, check this. 100%. I've never seen, like, he bats 100%, like, every time. Every time I'll call him, and I'll be like, hey, guess what's happening? This does this. And he's like, oh, yeah, just pull this and count to 10 or something like that. And then the car will run fine after that. And I'm like, how the freak do you know so many things about so many different cars? I was like, I don't know, just kind of just grew up. So tell you a little bit about him. At the age of six, and his, I met his dad, his, his family and stuff like that, he took a lawnmower apart and rebuilt it and made the lawnmower faster. It was the most interesting thing. Like he just gets things mechanically like that. And some people just kind of have that, but one of the smartest people I know. And his attention to detail um, as a craftsman is what blows me away because there's little precise things that he tells you, and if you follow them, and you can pick up on them, uh, just change the way that you're working on that project. So with that, 
this is generally what happens when you're designed. Not everything that you do should be a visual representation of something. I think sometimes we kind of get caught and lost in that because everybody speaks visually. And so when people say that and they see that and they're like, oh, hey, where are my designs? Your designs should be look like this. Uh, these people won't understand this color. This font isn't right. The typeface is wrong. Change it to bold, whatever. Whatever you might get, it's always visual language. And you need to think beyond that. And you need to think about understanding and controlling details. So we're going to talk a little bit about that. So um, my two older boys, they ballroom dance. And right now, they're at BYU for national competition. So they're always looking at things dance-wise, right? Um, and so the next thing is a, a group. Uh, you guys have probably seen them from um, 2000, I think 2007, 2008. They kind of went on some dance uh, TV shows, and they became really popular. They turned that into a career. So when I saw this group, it was really intriguing. Um, I think the things that were fascinating to me is how, obviously, they're dancing, so they're using motion, but how they use contrast as a huge thing um, and how their moves were juxtaposed to the other people that were in front or the back. And it's paying attention to those little details that makes them so intriguing. So when you watch them, there's always something happening. And I think when you can produce that, and again, I know that that's a visual representation to something, but it's taking a principle um, and, and tweaking it a little bit to give you something that's uh, uh, visually nice. Um, and I'm going to bring it all back around here in just a second. Here's another example of details. There's a scene I've loved since I was a teenager that has never left me. It's when Mace Windu fights a super battle droid army with his bare fists in Gendi Tartakovsky's Clone Wars. I love it because although Mace feels in control, he has to be sure of his movement in order to survive. There's one moment after using the Force in every conceivable way to wipe out these droids, he pauses and dismantles one in a deliberate motion. When I was younger, I connected to the moment, at the time thinking it was due to the inventive nature of his takedown, but watching it again as an adult, I realized it was the beats of that moment that I really connected to. Essentially, the timing of the action. Chuck Jones once said, the discipline of filmmaking is, is and must be timing. There's no way that anything can work unless the timing is exact. I like Looney Tunes too, so Chuck Jones is awesome. That principle of timing and understanding how to use it as they're talking more. So I had the opportunity of heading down when um, 
Gendy, they were at Cartoon Network, a friend of mine who was an illustrator, anyways, long story short, just to kind of see how they work. The thing that was really cool is when they storyboard, the awesome thing about it is that they're like, here's this character, and then he'll run, and they'll go, and then they'll give sound effects for timing for the rest of the team to kind of pick up on that style. It's the intangible things that are happening that makes things fantastic. So they'll pick up on, how come you did it this long? How come you did it that short? And those are the details that they're pulling out and they give to you. That's what makes some of their work. And he's fantastic. I love all the things that he's done. So intriguing. Juxtapose, the thing that happens in our world is that this type of nonsense is out there all the time. And anywhere that you go, from Behance to Pinterest, you guys go out and everybody puts work out. And they're like, look at my stuff, it's really, really cool. Look at that and tell me, or my first question that I ask, how useful is this? Like, you look at this, it looks cool, but I can't tell what I need to do with it. And that's the problem, is that everybody has a visual language that they speak about things that are aesthetically pleasing, but when it comes down to practicality, it has none. Um, what happens when you have too many people down here? Or in a name, like what do you do then? Or what are these indicators supposed to mean? But all this artwork is out there for people to look and people are like, I love the colors. I love what they're trying to do there. And then you kind of take that and you want to apply it, but you don't know how because it's not relevant to the work that you're doing. And this happens often. So how do you know what to do when you don't know? When you're missing that thing that helps connect your work, those details in your work, where do you go? Who do you talk to? Pinterest? Behance? I don't think they have the answers. So that question of tying your work together so you can speak to somebody um, is good. Now, my recommendation to you is that you start talking to the people that you're developing the products for. This is the problem, a huge problem. Everybody says users. Not the case. The users are you. You have all names. Everybody has names here. You guys like to hear your name, and you're just as relevant as the individuals that you're building the applications for. You remove that, users, because it puts a wall up, and you can put them in this container where you think that they just work and push buttons or hit clicks, and that's how they function. But they function like you. They are you. They go to work, they have families, loved ones, have pets, they shop a certain way. All of those things are relevant to them. And if you start calling them users, you put this box around them that they behave a certain way and they don't. And so this is the biggest problem that I see within UX right now is people do this and it's not a good thing. So Peter Morville had this diagram out quite a while ago and at the time I appreciated it. And uh, it had a lot to do with people making things useful and usable. And it talked a lot about that. And if you don't know who Peter Morville is, he did a book about uh, search that's fantastic. Uh, if you ever have a big product that you're dealing with search, go and check it out because it's super relevant. So anyways, uh, he put that out. And a lot of people used it, including me, and found value in it at the time. Then I started thinking uh, the relevancy of how um, 
this is all visual, and it really is not helping me understand people more. So I have a thing for psychology. So I start poking around a little bit more um, about how people work and how they do things. And I found um, that psychologists talk about five big human traits that help people understand how we behave. And these are those five traits. So uh, extroversion is how sociable you are. You like people or you don't. Um, and then neuroticism is, um, it's really about negative feelings. Uh, and agreeableness is what it is, how, long, how um, much you get along with that thing or that principle or that practice. Uh, conscientiousness, for instance, if I have $5 on that table and I left it there and you were by yourself, are you going to take it? Look at it that way. So, and openness. Somebody said, hey, this person, same sex, you going to find fault with it or not? Things like that. That's how people really behave. It's based on emotion. And so this is what tends to happen. It's not this structure. It's this thing that flexes and changes. It changes daily, it changes in minutes, it changes often. So you can get in a fight with a family member and you could be not so agreeable really quickly. Uh, you can get in a debate at work about the product that you're delivering and not be so agreeable. So if your users are like this, why use something that doesn't have much relevance to try to understand who and how they work. Doesn't seem right to me. So as you're building experiences, you really have to try to understand who and why they do what they do, which people so often and get wrong when they're talking about empathy. Empathy is not just to feel like, hey, I understand you. Empathy is just really try to know them. And then you have things like this that you see often products that people put together for a test market and kind of see. I think that bike was kind of made for me. Um, not much for hiking, so I'd love to ride down the hill. I'm not even quite sure where the seat is, but it looks pretty cool. I'd buy it. So, um, and then the water bottle makes sense. And so, um, but you have products that people are really trying to figure out how people do things and try to provide those products for them. And I go back to the beginning um, with Kavita, and I do it for the children. That's her main focus. Her goal is that she understands who will use her product. That's who she's talking to. She's not talking to, because sometimes the business gets this wrong, and their focus, because they take principles that sound right, and they weave in what they want to say. And then you lose track because everybody has different initiatives. And sometimes that's hard to get away from. Uh, those initiatives are, are, it's a fight because they, they don't see the way that you do. And the worst thing that you can do is argue with them on their initiatives. That's not how you need to approach that. So I'm taking you on, I'm gonna share a little bit of, with my daughter. Um, she's going through, an interesting time in her life. Uh, her and my youngest son are very athletic, um, and things come really easy for them, and they play on a couple sports teams that are uh, ranked, and they, you know, they have a lot of success. 
Um, and my point here is about um, you can't stay stagnant. Oftentimes, people like to be comfortable. It's great. You know what you're going to do the, the next day. Driving is great. Your family is awesome. You kind of get out, and everything is awesome. But my push to them, just because I remember what it was like being an athlete, is it's never comfortable. You should never be comfortable. And you always have to push yourself. And so this is her, and she plays a, a few different sports. And she's starting to kind of understand how to use her body effectively. Um, and people see her, and they want to emulate her because some of the things that she's doing are, is pretty extraordinary. And I'm not bragging because I'm her dad. She's a pretty good athlete. Um, but what people don't see is the work that she puts in. She's embraced not being comfortable. And it, it bugs her all the time. So we talk about details on striking the ball. We talk about where her body balance is, and if I can draw a straight line through, and she's running, if she comes to a rest, and she consumes a lot of that differently than a lot of people do. And so when people look at that kind of athlete and go, oh, she's really good. Well, it's because she's spending a lot more time than anybody else at the thing that she really loves, which is playing sports. Sorry, I forget that I don't have this thing on, so I, I pull this thing away. So here's a couple of videos to see. This is my youngest son and my daughter working. And uh, this, this is kind of funny, and I, I put this in here because um, it was um, a year ago. She came to me because her brother was playing basketball, and she was like, I want to play basketball. And I'm like, you've never played basketball. She was like, yeah, I think I could be okay. And I'm like, all right. So this is a year ago, um, and she kind of got going. So this is some of the things that she's doing. So she's work, working with two balls and kind of moving the balls around, and then she's kind of doing some things here, trying to get familiar with the basketball. So um, it's funny. So she, she worked on this for about four months, and she took that and uh, made her junior high team and actually pushes some of the kids on the high school team. And she's 12. Um, and so it's interesting what your mindset can do if you embrace the fact that you can't be comfortable, right? Don't do the same designs all the time. Don't solve your problems the same way all the time, thinking that you're going to give people the answer to their problems because we're all different and we change often. So the best thing that you can do when you're adding new tools to your toolbox or tool bag or whatever. I wouldn't worry about understanding new programs or anything like that. I would work on soft skills. That's the best thing that you can do for yourself as a designer. Soft skills are incredible. Listening is a huge one. And I'll share with you something that happened to me in the middle of my career when hubris was pretty high and I thought I had kind of had an understanding of where I was going and what I was doing. Um, I was working on a product uh, that went out to a ton of people, um, and it was to help uh, maneuver customers uh, so they can work on uh, movies. 
Um, so if I was an actor, I would go and sign up for this website, and then they would see my picture, and they would see my uh, bio, and say, oh, I might be good for this movie. So I sat down, uh, and this question that I'm about to ask is not rhetorical. I sat down with uh, four people, and uh, three of them were the main users of this particular, and I know I said users, but hang with me for a second. <laughs> hang with me for a second. Uh, uh, operated this product. So as we were working, this is what uh, one of the, the people said. They were, well, I use this product um, when I really need to do a quick search. And some of the things that I'm going to do are um, just look for a last name first. And um, then I start looking at if the face is what I think it should be. And so we continued that conversation for about an hour. So can anybody tell me what went wrong with that conversation? Because you hear this often. People just start talking and telling you things. So what's wrong with that conversation? And I didn't learn this until after. Uh, what they're explaining is their point of view from the software, right? Which is not relevant. I'm not building it per role or permissions. I'm building the software for three people. So what I did is I gravitated to her definition of what that software should be. So I pushed the designs out that way. And then we came back around, and the other two people were looking at it before the fourth person looked at it, and we were completely wrong. And then she was like, well, it was his fault. And she's right. It was my fault. And I totally didn't listen effectively. The way that I approached that software development was, oh, I'm going to make sure that I capture everything that she says. And oftentimes, you guys are in conversations when people are relating things to you, and you have to understand where, what perspective that's coming from. The next one that I have, the soft skills, collaboration. This is what high school looked like for me. I don't know if you remember wearing uh, polos with turtlenecks like this young woman has right here. It's pretty awesome. I love the fact that this dude has a Superfly shirt on. It's fantastic. And so, um, but this is kind of what people were like when I was growing up. So I have a quick question. Whose afro is better, his or mine? <laughs> it's kind of taller, about the same, but his a little bit more rounder than mine is. Um, doing better. But oftentimes, people see themselves as this guy, right? When you're explaining what you're doing, you're this dude. And nobody ever sees themselves as this person. When you are collaborating with people, this often happens. Um, the first thing that I like to do on a product, uh, when I'm developing a product, is I really get to know my developers. The PM and I have a good relationship already because we're all the time, we're together all the time. But my front-end developer, he's the individual or she's the individual that's going to initiate what we're all working on. And so th there's rapport there. And what you really want to understand is how they work. And you want to be able to support them in things that they recommend to you. Uh, you're not always right. You got to get a, a, an understanding of that. What you really need to understand is that together, the two of you make really good products. And it's give and take. The, the most exquisite visual design is hardly the best useful design. 
and that happens all the time. Critical thinking is another one that's a good soft skill, and I need a little broad, and you can kind of do something with it uh, if you want, um, but looking at, children do this the best, uh, looking at new ways to solve problems, because they have a lot of imagination. Uh, they open ways to solving problems up all the time. Uh, my kids help me with more product development than I think a lot of people are aware of. They'll come up and be like, what is that? That doesn't make any sense. And I'm like, oh, I guess I need to change some things right away because it should make sense what you're looking at. And if it doesn't, then I've turned somewhere where I shouldn't have. And I'm, I'll ask them, why doesn't it make sense? And they'll tell me, well, I don't know what this thing is there for. And most of the time, 90% of the time, they're correct. I'm not saying let kids design for you. I'm just saying you, you use information that people give you as good feedback. Um, and understanding patterns is a good way to use guidance. Feedback is crucial. And I think oftentimes people look at feedback in different ways. Testing is a vital part of what we do. And when we begin to test, I think we just go to people and we're asking them questions. Hey, does this look good? Hey, well, can this work? Or whatever questions that you ask them. And if you're really understanding people, you're going to take that feedback that they give you um, and get a better understanding of it. And number one, you'll ask proper questions and you'll use it as a board for guidance. I'm going to use another sports. I didn't realize there were so many sports analogies in here. I'm going to use one more for you. You are looking at a football play, really simple football play. In football, when you're throwing the ball, there's concepts. There's in concepts or out concepts. This is called an out concept. And what that does is that means everybody has stuff that they're doing outside of the middle third of the field. When you teach and you're helping kids to understand patterns, when people line up, um, it allows people to kind of get a feel for what's going to happen, the pattern that's coming. And so people understand that. In UX development and when you're developing a product, understanding how people work and when you talk and when you capture feedback back is all based on patterns. We're the same way. We have patterns. Human beings have patterns that they consistently hang on to. And if you can see those patterns kind of quickly, you're able to take them and effectively do something with them to your product. I think oftentimes people look at patterns, they ignore them, and they worry about uh, stats and numbers uh, and trying to maneuver things that way. Although sometimes it's good, but in, in oftentimes really understanding the people help you be better. Sometimes people break the patterns, and when you see an individual, when you watch this sport or basketball or something like that, and somebody does something extraordinary, or they look like, hey, they're wide open, somebody breaks the pattern because they understand it. When you're capturing data from an individual, and you see that they've done something different, and it's an outlier enough to make you go, oh, why did you choose to do that? Or can you help me understand the reasoning behind your decision? That helps you to kind of see how to adjust the patterns that individuals are um, adhering to so you can then shift your product to kind of meet their needs. And that's kind of the, the big thing is that when you're 
um, gathering these tools to be a better UX designer, you really have to start to understand um, at the beginning what's important to you. As you add tools to your toolbox or tool bag or however you use the analogy, what's important to you? What's your motivating factor? What's driving you to be the UX designer that you are? And if you can align those initiatives with how you work, I really need to understand people better. So what are you going to do with your soft skills to understand people better? Are you going to spend more time with them? Are you going to go read some articles? Are you going to get back on Behance or whatever and, you know, pull from what people are doing without really understanding why they did what they did? What's going to shape you and drive you to kind of get to this next level? Um, being a really good designer is about understanding who you are first. And then when you understand that is understanding the people that you're ser serving um, and you're providing a product for. And once you do that, I think other things become really easy. So uh, with that, I think that's all that I have. I don't want to kill too much of your time, so thank you. Are there any questions? There's a lot out there. I would probably start with um, general practices of uh, how we learn, how we think through problems. Those are usually paint you in a direction that's helpful to understanding how we behave as humans. Uh, personality traits. Is there a book that has helped you the most during your career? Um, not one particular book. Lectures have been help, help me. There's a ton of podcasts out there where teachers are giving lectures. Harvard uh, School of Business, a few other places. Um, and um, those have always been helpful. The question is, if you're in an environment that doesn't lend well to discomfort, how do you grow that when you don't know what to do? It's a great question. Some of the things that you can do, I don't know who, who or whom you work with, uh, but one of the things that you can start doing, it, looking at your work and seeing where there are holes, you can compare it to really good designers that um, you know that their work is sound. And as you're comparing the work, you can look to see where the holes are. And oftentimes it's details in the holes uh, that make their work a lot more effective than yours. And as you begin to understand those details, then you pull those out and start to work from them. So the question is how... Um, can you control the amount of people that you talk to to get uh, good feedback back? Um, that's really just getting a feel for understanding people. You don't need to talk to 100 people. Uh, at any kind of length, you probably get a good round number, 20, 10, depending on how many people you have access to. But what you begin to see uh, are patterns and in individuals that are really clear-cut. For instance, let's just say behavior patterns uh, were a skinny part of a bell curve in the middle. Let's just say we took the 3% of that bell curve right in the middle and everybody was saying that particular thing. They might be phrasing it differently, but they're saying the same thing. You take that information and that becomes the catalyst from you to work from. And as you build on that, uh, and then maybe you have uh, you go get some more feedback. Um, you find out more things about that, and I think you work that way with people. But you don't need to talk to 100 people to kind of get a clear-cut understanding of how patterns are working within individuals. 
Okay, good. Thank, Thank you, Dave. A big thanks to Frank for presenting, and again to Bluehost and Pendo for sponsoring this event. If you learned some things from Frank's talk, be sure to share it with your team or share it on Twitter and mention us at product underscore hive. Sharing these talks is a great way to support Product Hive. As always, be sure to check out all our upcoming events. You can find them by searching for Product Hive on meetup.com. And while you're there, go ahead and join the group so you always get the latest updates. We also have a YouTube channel where you can find videos of all the past talks. Thanks for listening. We'll be back in your feed soon, and we'll see you at one of our next events. We'll